Paradise. It's Paradise Arcade. Hi, this is Power Nerd, and you're listening to the Paradise Arcade. The Paradise Arcade contains graphic language. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Paradise Arcade with Kyle and Eric, promoting synthwave music and culture. All right, welcome to another episode of the Paradise Arcades. We have a very special guest this episode, Tom of Occam's Laser or Occam's Laser. Welcome. Thank you for having me on. We're very, very excited to have you on, by the way. Yes, thank you for we're, coming. We're both big fans of your music. Dark Wave is, is our like main wave, if you will, so... <laughs> Um, I'm not a big deal. I'm really not a big deal. Oh, you're being <laughs> modest. Thank you. Just make music. It's good though. But yeah, thank you for having me on. Seriously. Yeah, absolutely. So for those that don't know who you are, kind of just talk about maybe your journey of, of what you do and, and kind of where you're at now. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I've been making music for probably about, is that, I, I think it is 10 years. Um, but only professionally since about the end of 2014, start of 2015. And since then, I've had 23 albums or releases, I think it is. And I used to kind of make lighter music, more outrun, more classic sort of synthwave. But now it's definitely ingrained in the darker side of dark synth, dark wave. And yeah, I think uh, if you like kind of a medley of not quite as hard as Car- Carpenter Brute and Perturbator or any you know, of those guys, but more kind of melodic, but still gritty. That's kind of the music I want to try and make. Sweet. What drew you to making Darkwave? You, as you said, you've, you've transitioned. What's appealing about what you're doing now? Well, for me, it's weird. It's like making kind of dirty, disgusting, and kind of usually sad or at least melancholic sort of music uh, is actually much more of a happy experience than trying to like force yourself to make happy music. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yes. So yeah, it's, it's almost like a punching bag, I guess it's like you're taking out your aggression and you're actually becoming happier, even though what you're making is kind of a disgusting, nasty yeah. <laughs> creation, I guess. Well, yeah, I, I always make this yeah. joke, like, you know, like sad or angry music makes me happy you know what i mean yeah. like it doesn't make me it, it doesn't when i listen to it because you know like my dad and i if we hang out um he he absolutely cannot understand and has never understood why i like them you know and i like a lot of things but he's never understood like why i've like dark wave or why i like metal or whatever it is because it just absolutely pisses him off and I'm like, I'm really calm. I'm cool. This is making me happy. Yes, why would it make you angry? <laughs> yeah, I don't really understand. You, you know, so it's, it is. Uh, I understand what you're saying and what you're coming, where you're coming from, as far as that goes. Um, yeah, aggressive things don't have to make you be aggressive. I guess, isn't it? It's, no. it's almost like 
playing violent video games doesn't make you violent. <laughs> I was just going to say exactly the same thing. So. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, when like people like the media put those two together, it, it always kind of strikes me as a weird, weird thing to do. Yeah, you know, it's it's an easy scapegoat instead of really addressing yeah. really underlying issues. It's just blame it, blame it on the thing that is different, basically. Blame it on the rain. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I might have got a bit too political too fast. <laughs> oh, no, it, makes, it makes sense. Uh, and it's not that political, what you're saying. No, so. I guess. Uh, and, and I like what you're saying as far as like the distinction between you know, what you do versus like Perturbator or Carpenter Brute or Ghost. Like, yeah, uh, I would say your music is a little more cinematic than. Yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, that's, that's that is exactly the angle I'm going for. Almost like a B movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as opposed to like just straight aggression. But you have the, the mood, the ambience. Um, and there is a bit, you know, it, it is driving even on some of your you know lower temp tempo songs like there's definitely yeah. like an edge to them and i say it's great driving music like if you're you know yeah. what i mean like that's my jam yeah I'll put an occam's laser Ho hopefully right not some of the you know 170 bpm tracks <laughs> <laughs> yeah you might get pulled over for some of them maybe but, uh, it well, could happen <laughs> it, it's fine it's, it's what i like to do i you know um so since you said 2014 making music professionally? Yeah, yeah. I, I quit my job in 2012 and and moved back home so I could pretty much just have like a fresh start. And uh, it, it took a while before I realized that what I was doing as my hobby, which was music at the time, could actually just be a job. Um, and I don't mean in like a job like, oh, I'm just doing it for the money. It's just more that I can survive off yeah. of what I like doing anyway. Yeah. Well, I want to say congratulations for one. Thank you. That, that's a dream, right? <laughs> yeah. Like doing the thing you love to do as a living. I think that's anybody's aspiration. Yeah. So that's really sweet. And that's not a short period of time either. That's, you know, six years at this point, you've been doing it professionally and have released yeah. a lot of records. My God, man, you are productive. Yeah, but you can tell exactly when I got... Um when I had my son and when I got married, because it's like my first few years, it was almost like six releases each year and then two releases, two releases. So things have slowed down a little bit. Yeah, only two you releases know. a year. Like that's... It's <laughs> still <laughs> But yeah, life has taken over a bit more. Well, that's good. So do you think that it sounds like you've kind of reached a good balance with personal life and creative output and that kind of a thing and then making a living off of it yeah absolutely yeah so music is mostly my evenings now um and i look after my son uh full-time which is which is one of the greatest jobs in the world absolutely. so that's also quite a nice sort of polar opposite to what i do so it's looking after a two-year-old and then making disgusting synth music at night <laughs> do you ever find that like people are confused by like when they see you in your life and then what you do creatively like is there ever like kind of like a what's going on here how does this work yeah i'll tell you what the the biggest um when it, as you've said that the thing that's come to mind is when i played live for the first and only time um which was two years ago it was i i turned up on stage with just like a blue shirt jeans I, i've seen and, the video <laughs> and i'm smiling the entire way through my set and loads of people afterwards were like 
but you're supposed to like have a you know <laughs> a gritty smile you're supposed to be brooding and all this and i was just i was having too much fun it's just yeah you, you so I, I there is definitely like a an imbalance of what i make and how i present myself i personally love that that's like that just brings such joy to me because again it doesn't mean as you're saying just because you make something or like something that's darker or brooding or whatever it is yeah. it doesn't mean you have to be that way and i've always felt there's if e either one of you see that meme where it's like me and there's like this bubbly person and then in like next to him is sitting like a goth like corpse papers and it's my taste in music <laughs> yeah 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 my taste in music Absolutely. also my taste in music <laughs> right <laughs> that one i've seen a few different variations of it uh it, it's so like yeah i like yeah I, I enjoy that particular aspect where i get some of the theatrics and maybe like some of these people like um that are doing these shows like that is when you see them live that's a more of like a character or a stage persona yeah. not necessarily yeah, absolutely. who they actually are um which i get i guess saves you from the smiling on stage playing dark brooding you know like disgusting music and people going, yeah with a what? with a keytar as well so looking pretty much like the biggest joke of all time <laughs> <laughs> you you looked like you play you're playing in like a wedding cover band exactly exactly <laughs> that. yeah yeah is, so what it's interesting so you've done one live show because I, I was you know like i'm always on the hunt for like who's coming around who's playing live and then like you know looking for you it's like uh you've only done one show is there yep a particular reason why you don't perform live more or are you looking to perform live more do you know it's it's this weird thing that playing live was great and it's definitely one of the best experiences i've i've had with my music but it was a lot of hard work and yeah. when when the work isn't very constant you you kind of lose all of the practice you've put in so you'd have to retrain and repractice again and it was a lot of work so that's always in the back of my mind but then the biggest thing is that i live on i live on the isle of wight which is basically like if you look at the uk at the bottom is this little crispy turd that's hanging out of the asshole <laughs> of the isle of wight out, out of the uk and that is the isle of wight so cool. i've got to cross i've got to get a boat to get across just to the uk and then it's like if you were playing in london or something that's another three hour so it's like it, it's just quite an arduous journey to get to anywhere that's even going to have a good venue right and it seems like your priorities in life are a little bit different than like someone who's trying to do a big tour and doing all this stuff as a completely different lifestyle yeah, so yeah i think there's there's actually a, a, a term for a few of the people in the scene and it's synth dad <laughs> uh, i don't think that's a few of you in the scene that's a lot of you in the scene yeah it is it's pretty much most Although a lot of people aren't too transparent, I guess, but yeah. Well, yeah, we've totally got our synth dad here in Minneapolis. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. sure. Yeah, that's for sure. I think, yeah, at least one for sure. Well, yeah, Galaxy 80 being the main one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's that's always the funny, you know, uh, juxtaposition, I guess, if like being really involved in the scene and then, but really just being a, a family man and that's your main thing. Um, let me ask you this, what drove you to synthwave, dark wave in the first place? Cause you know, when you started out 10 years ago, I don't really think synthwave was necessarily a thing, was it? I mean, it was, 
maybe just just touches of yeah, like j- Jurassic synthwave stuff, just like <laughs> the beginnings of it. Yeah, the antique. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's it's partly that good old almost cliche meme by now of I watch Drive, and I you know whatever. Um, it was more a case of I know exactly at the moment, and it was when I listened to the 2007 album by Justice. Mm. which was called Cross, mm. and it was the first track, yep. Genesis. Yep. That track changed everything I was doing at that time, and I knew that that's the music I wanted to try and make. I don't think I've ever ever got very close to achieving that, but m- not many people have. Um, but that I- Including track, them. Yeah. <laughs> including them, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so their first track is their best track. I mean, what, can you, what more can you say? But... Um, yeah, so that's that's always what I've tried to. I, I, I guess that's my aspiration is to just to capture one moment like Justice have. And yeah, so I'd, even that's that's kind of predating a lot of um, synthwave and things like that. But I think a lot of electronic music has always been a very 80s centric, 90s centric sort of genre anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Daft just, Punk again, they've they've yeah. been doing the same thing for a long time and. No one's called them synthwave, right? Because they've been do they just been doing it the entire time that they've existed. So they're just yeah. a genre unto themselves. Yes, I was, yeah, I was gonna yeah. Say that. Um, yeah, that I mean, Drive is definitely like when I saw that the movie, like just as much as the movie has an effect on you, the soundtrack to that movie is absolutely like I can't imagine one without the other. Just the impact oh, of both of those things. With- there's an there's actually a different cut of Drive with a different soundtrack. Um, it was done by um, I think a DJ in the B, um, in the UK from the BBC, and it absolutely ruins the entire film. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they did go exactly hand in hand, and it, it you can't even watch it with a different soundtrack. It's bizarre. Again, I couldn't even imagine. I I do want to see it just so I can experience it. It'd just be angry yeah. at life. Yeah, I'd be like, ooh, what is that? No, doesn't fit. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's available somewhere. Eh, we yeah. can probably you know bootleg it somewhere. Jeez. But I I think um, yeah, it will change your perspective. That's for sure. Okay, that's and that and I don't I don't think it's cliche. I think that was like a you know Cliff Martinez and in Nicholas Winding Refn, like they're just at yeah. the right time in the right place for the culmination of all these things together. And yeah. no, I just hear it a lot in interviews and it's, it's not annoying exactly. Cause it's the truth, but yeah, I, I, I don't want to fall back on that. <laughs> if it works for you. I mean, it works for you. I mean, I, I, to me, that was, again, I remember when that movie came out and I hadn't seen it yet. And people are like, have you seen that movie? Have you heard the soundtrack? <laughs> and you don't usually like, even when you talk about movies now, you're not like, have you seen that movie? And oh my God, the soundtrack. You're just kind of like, have you seen that movie? Yeah. And so the, it was one of those things where like, it had such an impact. And I don't know, he hasn't, Nicholas Winding Refn really hasn't redone that same kind of thing. I mean, he still uses Cliff Martinez, but um, it just was the right time, the right place. And a lot of people, although there are some people like, I really hate that movie. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> there are a lot of people that don't like that one. It's true. But, Bizarre. But most those same people don't like any of his other movies either, so but, that's yeah. that's fair. But, they just don't like his style. That's fair enough. Yeah. Um, so were you like influenced by you know kind of any other things? Do you reach back into maybe 
you know, older things. Because, like, Blade Runner is kind of a thing, too. Like, Vangelis or John Carpenter, they tend to be pretty big influences on Synthwave and Dark Wave. Do you have an appreciation or, like, a, anything with those guys? Or oh, I mean, my all-time favorite film, as with many people, especially in this genre that make music, is definitely The Thing. There you and go. the fact that John Carpenter directed it, made the music, you know... That is an all-encompassing product of a genius. Yes. Um, and again, that that's that's another great thing that people don't seem to realize about John Carpenter is that he didn't just do one thing and then you know outsource the rest of it to other people. That's what annoys with me, with um, people in the uh, making synthwave when they outsource artwork at the moment. That's like something that's really been bugging me recently, and I I don't know why. Well, it seems like but I know that. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go on. I was going to say, a lot of people, it seems like they have to get the same artist. Yeah, yeah. It's it's strange. And, like, if you if you get John Carpenter to do a film and he does the soundtrack, you know that that's going to be his product. Yeah. So if you get someone to do an album and the artwork isn't theirs, it's almost like you're not looking at the same vision as you're listening to. I think you kind of come from a very unique perspective where you have the ability and the talent to do both where I don't Ugh, know that, don't know about that. <laughs> you know, I don't know that necessarily a lot of people have that particular ability. To, like maybe musically they could express exactly what they're trying to get at, but like visually they can't get there. They have no ability to do it. And so, I mean, I hear what you're saying, which is yeah. absolutely valid, but I also know a lot of people that just, it would be like a cart. It would be like a a crayon doodle. It just wouldn't look nearly as as amazing as it could be. So, um, yeah, there is that. But all, all these things can be improved. At least, I mean, <laughs> another reason why I why I do my own artwork is because fundamentally, I'm just a massive cheapskate. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd rather put in the time to like learn Photoshop. Than, than pay someone as much as the album's going to make in just the artwork. Yeah, no, but, I, yeah, that that's smart. But you do a really good job, though. I really like your artwork, and you also did the artwork for Future Sounds Three, right? Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a clutch one. Um, they came to me with I think it was twenty four hours before the artwork had to be finished. Well, holy oh, shit! Um. And I said, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> How nerve-wracking was that? Uh, no, it was all right. I, I've, I've had tighter deadlines than that, but geez, yeah. I'm glad it turned out as it did. Because, um, yeah, I, I love working with those guys. So yeah. it was kind of like a, a bit of a favor. Um, and, I, yeah, I'm glad it worked out because <laughs> it could have quite easily been a really big hot mess. Well, it wasn't. It was. No, it's great. Artwork. Yeah, the artwork is great. Your artwork is great. So, thank you. It's you know, and and I like that. You know, again with with like what you're doing, there really is a, a complete package because you're able to kind of translate, you know, what you're trying to accomplish or express with a particular project, um, and it happens to be really good. So that also works out for you <laughs> well know? thank you well that, that is an opinion i'm not too sure if i share it all the time because sometimes i look back and i go oh yeah but, but the um... person always making the thing always hates whatever they do yeah exactly it's you've, you've got to be in the mind 
mindset that you were when you did that to really appreciate it. So I know that looking back is never a good idea sometimes. Well, here's a question for you. What if a solo artist went to you asking for you to do artwork for their album? I have helped before. Ah. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. You're, you're making me sound like a sellout. <laughs> um, no, I, I've done like very, very slight logo work for two artists before and that's it i've never actually done the album artwork um you could i have think a that's whole pretty new career. best oh <laughs> <laughs> no I, I haven't got the time <laughs> fair, enough. fair enough if if i'm honest it does take me a hell of a long time to do album artwork so let me ask you this do you create album artwork before you start doing music or do you do the music or have an idea develop them you know together like how does that work out then um I, it would depend on the project but most of the time i will start the artwork figure out kind of what i want and leave it half finished and then make some music and make at least enough music that i know that there's something there and then see if that's working so far and then go back and finish the artwork um so usually it's it's almost like a sandwich i guess um and that yeah that 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 tends to kind of work out the best because otherwise if i finished the artwork and then didn't have enough music for that concept or or theme or whatever i kind of feel like i've wasted my time doing the artwork that makes sense and with that do you have do you have like because like calm truths like he always talks about like how he basically writes movie scripts in his brain and then he and then he scores the movie to a script that he's imagined. Yeah. So he's kind of got it like this full formed cinematic idea. So do you start out with do you have like a story that you're trying to tell and you develop as you're writing the music? Uh, with some concepts, yes. And some others, maybe not as much. God damn, commentary is just is he's too good. Um, even his process that? is better than mine. <laughs> I hate it when people oh. are so good, they just make you angry because they're so good. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I can't be angry with him. He's, yeah, he's he's a genius as well. Um, him and John Carpenter, yeah. neither of them can do anything wrong. Um, I, yeah, I guess my favorite things are that if I've got a concept that already exists, so like one of my Tron albums, um, that's great because I already know exactly what the story is. So it's very easy for me to sort of pick out what notes I have to hit, what um, what names to call tracks and things like that. Mm. Um, but then albums like um, like New Blood, that was a story I had in my head for a while. So again, that was kind of kind of along the same sort of lines that I already had a narrative that I just needed to fill in the the sort of the the blanks between um, certain tracks and things. It's a great album, by the way, and it sounds very good on vinyl. Thank you very much. Yeah, I did see you took a picture. Thank you very much. <laughs> Yeah, no, and that is actually as of two days ago. I think that just sold out completely, which is nice. I hope that I helped sell the rest. Oh, of you those you items. definitely helped. I had to. That's my contribution. Hey, if anything, if it sold out, it just means it's gone up a little bit more on Discogs. That's it's true. There you go. <laughs> so let me ask Repress you this: time. Are you yeah. are you a vinyl person? Do you appreciate the vinyl aspect of? of the music or is that just kind of goes hand in glove with the scene? I think that 
it's kind of weird because vinyl was more seventies than than eighties in some ways. Absolutely. And it's more that the cassette is the is the kind of bastard child of the eighties. Um, I, I love vinyl. I mean, right now I'm looking at three of my own releases that I've got framed on the walls. Yes, I'm sure that. Oh, it's it's I, I, I it's the best feeling having your own music to hold in that sort of way, um, and others music as well. I mean, I've, I've got loads of other artwork and um, vinyl just hanging around. Uh, one of my favourite is by Meatloaf, weirdly enough, and it's staring <laughs> at me right now. And it's got some of the best artwork I've ever seen. Is it bad out of hell? Uh, no, I can't even actually see what the album's called because I've never listened to it because I, I <laughs> it's, it's just it's so beautiful. I can't. I can't take it out. If he's packaging. riding the motorcycle like through the sky, that's probably bad out of hell. Um, he's riding a motorbike with a woman on the back. I think that's bad through out of- the sea. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> it's it's just beautiful. It is the most beautiful thing ever. Um, yeah. So vinyl, vinyl. I think is. I can't tell if it sounds better. That's that's the one thing I've always thought. Why are people saying this sounds warmer or better than than digital? You know, Kyle, can you explain that? As a person who has a lot of vinyl and has spent a lot of money on vinyl, a playback, true believer <laughs> on yeah. the vinyl playback system and everything, it, I, I might get flack for this, but I don't really get the warmer aspect of it. Why people say that? It's I feel it's more enjoyable. I feel like with the right equipment, you can dig more detail out of things like for instance i could have a lossless digital file of an album and then have the vinyl well i can play the digital version of it lossless of course high quality it'll sound good but in my same system i feel like if i play the vinyl version of it and it's been you know appropriately mastered everything's right that it will sound better interesting I, you know, is it is it not just that it's it's not the sound that's got warmer? Maybe it's you who've got warmer because you've had to put more effort in than clicking like a, a track. I don't know. Maybe it is. And see, that is all the main aspect. One of the best things that I love about vinyl is I am an active listener and I am listening to this album front to back, all the yeah. tracks, the way that the artist you know put it into the album in the order they wanted, how they intended someone to listen to it. Mm-hmm. If I'm listening to a digital file or streaming or, you know, listening to a CD or something like that, you know, you just want to hear one track, you go to that, you skip to the next, you aren't involved in it at all. You're quickly right. picking something. You aren't getting focused into it and appreciating it, I feel at least, you know, to That makes sense. To the it's max. almost like going to the cinema and, and watching Netflix. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and the same thing with cassettes, too. I love that about that. I pop in a cassette, I listen to the whole thing, because you, know, you don't want to sit there and fast-forward and screw that. Just listen to the whole You've album. almost got no choice, have you, because you can't guess when to stop. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can play around with it and do that, but at that point, you're wasting more time trying to find what you want right. than actually listening to the music itself. I guess for yeah. me, like I, I prefer albums because most of the time, I don't like the singles as much as the gems that are actually in the album. Like you discover so much more from an artist. If you just listen to the whole damn album, like most of the time when I am listening to something, I like the deep cut better than I like the single that's being released. And it's synthwave. That's not necessarily a problem. I guess it is 
people have playlists and such, but like I feel like it's not a singles driven genre. Like here's a taste, now get the thing and listen to the whole thing because it's a yeah. it's cinematic because it it tells a whole story. I'm completely with you there on singles. I've never released I know, tell a lie, I've released one single and I regret doing it like that because it was a single that was just part of an album. It should never have been singled out. It should have just stayed as part of the album. It has to be part of the story. It's almost like if you told a chapter from a book, but you didn't have any concept of what the rest of the book was, then it wouldn't feel quite as grounded and it might not even sound as good because you haven't got anything to sort of compare it to. To go back to like calm truths, like to me, I feel like, you have to listen to Calm Trues at least like three or four songs together because they fit so well that taken out of context, they don't they don't hit as well, I think, in my opinion. Yeah, well, they don't sound like other music, do they? So it's, there's nothing you can kind of put with Calm Trues to make it feel like it fits right, I guess. Yeah, I think that's an absolutely... I guess he's probably another genre unto himself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wonder what he'd say though if he had to put a genre on his music because some some people find that really hard. I think at one point he he said it, he labeled it as something that I can't remember. It what wasn't it was. synthwave. No, it, it definitely no. was not. It was like, and he's just like, okay, if people want to put me into that, they can go ahead and do that. But I don't see myself as it that. was something like ambient, cinematic, something or another. It was like, yeah, it sounds sounds like a good sort of genre to put yourself in. Yeah, like it just was really didn't really describe very much, but it also made total sense to what he was saying. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, okay, I get it. I, I'll, I'll agree with that. Um, and he's a super nice guy too. I mean, so that's really cool. We got to see him live last year. Mm-hmm. So that's always that's one thing I really enjoy about this genre in particular, uh, coming out of like. Other, you know, appreciating like metal and, and techno and stuff like that. In general, I really haven't met a douche canoe synthwave <laughs> person. Like, they're pretty nice <laughs> for the most part. I, it, that is something that's weird. Uh, both artists and fans, everyone is easily approachable. Everyone's very friendly. It's overall, I find it to be just like a really great positive scene for everyone involved. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I can uh I can attest that most of the artists that I know, they're all extremely nice people. It's it's kind of almost annoying sometimes because <laughs> you you kind of you know that there's gotta be an asshole in the bunch somewhere, but it's hard to pick. I, I think maybe it, it only happens as you get to some of those artists that are a little closer to the mainstream, so they've got a little bit more of a following. And it's less yeah. about being an asshole and more about like you're so popular how do you even how do you manage those interactions you know what i mean like i don't know how i would how i would handle fame or being recognized or anything like that so like if you're kind of up there <clears throat> the midnight <clears throat> how do you <laughs> you know how do you how would you interact with those people and, and how do you be courteous and kind and, and do these things when you're selling out i think what we saw the midnight and they were like that's an 800 is the first avenue 800 people ish I'm not even sure. Probably somewhere around there. Yeah, I and mean, that place is sold out. I can't imagine interacting with 800 people in one shot. I couldn't imagine interacting with eight people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you there, yeah. <laughs> it's overwhelming at that point, yeah. absolutely. So, I mean, it's hard to say as far as like if there are actually any assholes that are 
in the scene. I'm sure there has to be. There's just there's just law of deduction. There has to be, but I haven't met him. I think part I th- of it is like everyone who's in it. We're all excited about it. Absolutely. So you know, we all have something in common. We're all friends. And I it, think that maybe there's some personas that are assholes, mm-hmm. but people aren't truly that underneath. So it's almost like if you put a mask on, you're allowed to be a bit more cocky and yeah. arrogant. So maybe some people do that to kind of allow themselves to become that. I would imagine. And, and more of a showman. Right. Yeah, I would imagine. I mean, again, like, I just, I think about my own, like, how would I, how would I do these, these things? Because, like, the synthwave scene, while it's small, is very energetic. People are very passionate about it. Um, so even if there's five people there, they're really excited to see what you're doing. And yeah. so how do you interact? I'm, I'm a fairly shy person in real life, so like, I don't know how I would deal with that as a performer, you know, like that kind of interaction. So, something to think about. I certainly do. I think a lot of people, there, there's even the option just to stand behind a laptop and press a button, and people aren't that annoyed by that, I don't think, in the scene, because the music's already been written. Mm-hmm. They know that most of it isn't going to be played live because it's too technical to play live. Mm-hmm. So there's less of a demand for truly kind of stepping out from behind there and exposing yourself to the audience almost. But the funny um, thing, what I find, is that in this scene, there are more people that actually step up from behind the laptop and do a, a guitar or do a synthesizer or do a guitar than, say, like EDM. You know true. I mean? Yeah, very true. Because, you know, you, you've got a Dutch teenager who sits behind a keyboard I pressed the button. But space bar. <laughs> drop. Drop. <laughs> Boom. There it is. Uh, and there is, I don't know if you guys have seen that, there is this uh, like little gif where the first perspective is the guy behind the DJ booth, and he's playing one of those old-fashioned, like, uh, there's a knobs on either side, and you move the board around to guide the little ball around. Oh, like right. the, the, the maze with the, the holes in it? Yeah, that the kind maze. Of thing? Okay. And then on the other <laughs> side, you see the crowd's perspective, and he's like furiously like twisting like knobs. He's ripping knobs and dials. <laughs> and, they can't really tell. and that makes me laugh every single time I see it, because like, how furiously are you actually messing with all of that stuff to make any amount of difference? Yeah. It's hard no, to it... say. Everyone's different. I had 16 um, knobs and faders and things on my keytar, and I was thinking, should I just pretend to play these and, <laughs> and, and, and act like I'm changing anything? But I decided against it because of that sort of thing, yeah. Well, we've I seen think it's someone... obvious sometimes when you're kind of faking it. Oh, yeah. We've seen someone pretend to play an electronic drum kit very poorly. <laughs> yes. Oh, like, no. Actually oh, no, miss the beat completely. Like, strike off beat. It's the same thing for different songs. Oh yeah, that too. Like, oh wow. Yeah. We won't name who that was. <laughs> but it was hilarious. It stuck out really bad. Oh yeah. I'm just going to have to I'm going to I'm going to try and figure that out. I, I'll tell I, you I, I love for the show. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I I kind of like finding and it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really truly matter. No, I'm sure really. they make great music still. But I yeah. love finding out like who's who's faking it and who isn't. Yeah, there's uh, it, it, why why would you even? I guess to me, when I was there at the show, I was like, "Do you really have to do that much <laughs> for me to enjoy 
what you're doing. Like that is more distracting to me than you, someone just stand behind a laptop, stand behind a laptop. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. Cause we, we got to see Chromio live and they did a full okay. band and that was like, how many people were on stage? Like a pile of people. I think it was like 12, 12 people to do their music live. And so when That's there's mad. only three or four people and one of them is a saxophone, you know, you can only do so much. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Anyways, that, that was a tangent. That's a famous tangent. That's you know, one person I think who does, he doesn't quite just stand behind his laptop. I think glitch black is one of the best because he knows that there isn't too much to, to do other than play one synth and, and use right. your laptop. But then he's got the show as well. So yeah. he's he's still playing an instrument, but he's doing more than that by giving a show visually to everyone. And I think that's quite a clever way yeah. um, of changing the scene Absolutely. a bit. He's about the only person I've seen use LED suits and things. So yeah. and that I, might be the way forward for some people. I think, honestly, like Perturbator, I think he, he has his drummer now, but I think yeah. he only plays the Prophet 6 live, which is just the sweeps. Like I don't think he actually plays any melodies or anything live. He, he does all the drones and all of the, the sweeps in and out, but he doesn't, you know yeah. I mean? He still puts on a, a really good show. I, I wish I could remember what happened. <laughs> so, look at what he was doing. Uh, we got to see Ghost and Perturbator live, which is a pretty amazing build yeah, together. That's a good duo. Uh, and we had pre-gamed pretty hard beforehand. So by the time <laughs> that we got to Perturbator at what, it was at like 11 o'clock at night or whatever it was, Kyle was, I was blackout drunk. Him. You're done for. So he he hands records over to another friend of ours and just disappears into a mosh pit. Which, if you know Kyle, he doesn't. <laughs> That's the mosh. best way to go. He doesn't do any of that stuff. I'm like, oh shit, you're drunk. I was uh, <laughs> in the moment. In the moment, you're carried away, but you missed. Maybe a... you were possessed by by the performers. You see, uh, perhaps it's I that was. dark synth music. Yeah, oh yeah, I think so. So that was a great show that you vaguely remember, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> My fault. But, yeah, that's... but you've got memories still. They're just not yours. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very valid point. Yes, I like <laughs> So are, you mentioned Glitch Black. Are there other... Do you like the genre that you're part of and, and actively listen to it? Or are you kind of separate from it? I oh see that's a weird one because I really like the music but I've had to actively decide not to listen to much of it at the moment because I know that if I'm writing music and I've got someone else's song in my head there is that slight chance I'm going to copy something I don't mean to and then I have to rethink the entire song I've written or I have to sort of second guess what I've written and I have to sort of compare it against other people's songs and, and think is this the same as theirs and that's happened before and it's the worst feeling ever um, accidentally so, picking yeah, up someone else's thing I, yeah so you know when you get like a tune in your head and you start whistling it or something yeah absolutely and you're not always sure where it came from and then like maybe two weeks later you'll realize oh yeah it was from that film or something I'm, I'm always afraid, like, no matter what you do, it's already been written already. Because if you look at how many lawsuits there are for, for pop acts, where, yeah. you know, be it Led Zeppelin or be it somebody else, 
taking a bar or two bars from a song from 1970 or 1800 or whatever it is. Um, you're just like, is there anything left original anymore? How do you pursue, you know, being creative and, and making music kind of, at least in my perspective, like it's all been done before. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely any certain combinations of notes, keys, chords, whatever, but maybe one of the things that hasn't been used as much until now is kind of higher BPM. So you had like in the fifties, it would have been quite slow paced, but still rocky. But now you've got EDM and, and genres that definitely are the fastest we've probably ever had. Uh, so people probably think that although they might be copying the same chords because they're faster, they don't sound the same. Right. Um, so I'm sure we'll still run out of kind of combinations of things soon and people will start realizing that you can't copyright things like this anymore. The thing I love about YouTube is there's a lot of like retrospective videos from artists you know, that you loved in the nineties or eighties or whatever it is. And they talk and they break down some of their songs. And I was watching a video from an artist who they literally just broke down the theme to the Munsters and made it slower. <laughs> and that was the basis for one of their songs. They basically ripped wow. it off, ripped it off completely, but just slowed it down and then, and really detuned it. And that was the foundation <laughs> of whatever their, the, one of their big songs And I'm like, wow, okay. That's direct inspiration, I guess. I mean, that is one banging theme tune. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, I can understand why they did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, um, so, it, w- it wasn't Nirvana by any chance, was it? Because I think they did something along those lines. Well, they did it for most of their songs. They took something from Well, yes. Yeah. Uh, no, this is Typo Negative. Okay. Which makes Damn. sense if, if you know who Typo Negative is and their genre of music. That makes sense that they would take the monsters yeah. and, and make a song out of it. Um, it makes me want to take the mon- monsters and turn it into synthwave. That's amazing. And so you, and you talked a little <laughs> bit about like movies influencing you musically. So yeah. is that something that like you actually like keep scores in your brain a little bit, and and that does actually have an influence on you? Do you actively listen to score film scores? Yeah. So I, I've written quite a lot of um, album concepts. So I've had um, Mad Max with the Road to Fury. I've had my Tron um, album, The Grid, from 2016, and there's going to be the second um, Grid album coming out at the end of this month, actually. Sweet. I was um, wondering, actually. That was going to be a question. Yeah, was Return out. to the Grid. Um, yeah, it's quite a mad album, if I'm honest. It's so the it's going to be like a spiritual successor or replacement to uh, Tron Legacy's soundtrack. Okay. Which I know is is which was written by Darth Punk, so I'm not trying to like be like there's a shit it shouldn't exist. <laughs> it's, it's more like a, a slightly toned down alternative. Um, but their their soundtrack was only 80 minutes long. I don't know their their soundtrack was only 40 something, 46 minutes long, and mine's closer to 80. Uh, and I kind of feel like I might have gone a little bit mad. Uh, but it's honestly, an album I had to do. I, I'm excited to hear this album, to be honest. Yeah. With you. So it sounds like you like to inhabit certain worlds, say from films, yeah. and then it like you're inspired by them and you make music in the mindset of like, you know, this is a Tron, like that's inhabiting a very specific kind of world and mindset too. 
Yeah, that's a much more eloquent way of, of what I was trying to say. <laughs> you, you've encapsulated it exactly. Um, yeah, I think getting inside almost like a character or a film or even just a sound even. Um, yeah, it can be quite inspirational, so especially with films. Absolutely. I mean, everyone loves films. Everyone. Well, hopefully. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, and I get that. Like, because it's like what you're doing and maybe and maybe I'm speaking too much but it's like you see something and it really it sits with you you kind of really sit about think about the world it really affects you and then you take it one step further and then you're actually creative with it and you start writing your own story or in addition to some of you know a film that you've seen because you know like most films if they're a good film in my opinion they leave you wanting more they give you a hint of a larger thing and it lets your imagination just run wild. Like again, like Blade Runner, that movie, while it's a very, you know, singular story, the world that it inhabits is so vast and so large that it makes you kind of think about like what it would be like there and what other stories could unfold and what other things could happen inside of that world. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that's that's exactly it. It's another reason why I've done this next album I'm doing is is because it's like with the Tron uh, with the Tron universe, just like the Blade Runner universe. For a long time, there was nothing else. So I think we were quite lucky to have the the second Blade Runner film and it not be a, a complete travesty like a lot of sequels are nowadays. Mm, exactly. Um, I, and with the second Tron film, it ended after that, and it should have been a trilogy. It should. So been. a lot of people wanted more, and that was me included. Yeah, I go ahead. I was going to say, I'd add myself to that list too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, I've, I've heard that there's something else happening with Tron. There's a roller coaster that they're making it. Um, <laughs> that was not the thing I was thinking of. Yeah, it's, it's a Tron roller coaster, which I think sounds awesome. Um, but hopefully there's more up Disney's sleeve than just that. Yeah, I really hope so. You know, with like, I really like Tron Legacy, I really like the new Blade Runner movie. It's sad that, like, I think both of those movies gave people exactly what they wanted and stood on their own as movies, but then they weren't maybe as successful. Like, I think yeah, the Blade Runner sequel bombed, unfortunately, and that was an absolutely amazing movie. Yeah, that's, that's a weird one, because didn't it win an Oscar as well for... I think it um, won a few Oscars for, like, visual yeah. effects and stuff like that. And the yeah. f- film score was amazing. I listened to that on road trips. Agreed. Yeah, no, the, the, I'd almost say that the soundtrack for the newer Blade Runner film is better than the original. Mm. Okay, that's that's a good. Okay. Yeah, controversial. It, that is because how are you topping Vangelis? That's I'm getting all political. <laughs> wow, man, you were treading in some dangerous waters. Yeah, but it, it's a, but it, I think the soundtrack goes beyond them. It's using technology to almost boost what they started sound-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I And again, I really... I, I listen to both scores. I hate to say it, but I, I do really like the Blade Runner 2049 film score as a yeah. whole. It just does it for me. It's 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 a tasty soundtrack. <laughs> that is a great Whereas way there's to a describe Whereas there's it. a few tracks in the original soundtrack that are just a bit like, yeah, okay. And so, you know, 
you're obviously, I dare to say, you know, a fan of Tron because you've read yeah. the two concept <laughs> album, uh, kind of additional. Just a, just a little bit. In fact, my, my son is called Flynn because I'm a oh, fan of Tron. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, you just called yeah. him how much of a nerd you are. Cool. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. For yeah, that. It, it's, it's definitely confirmed. I, I do like the Tron world and the Tron universe. And also horror, obviously. Um, is there, yeah. besides John Carpenter, I mean, were there any kind of other movies of that decade that, that or not even necessarily restricted that decade? Like, do you like horror in a general sense? Are you, are you more of a retro horror person or do you like modern stuff? I think that when I, when I think back to films that have stuck in my brain, a lot of them tend to be horror or even just psychological sort of thrillers. Um, in fact, there was a VHS that my mum recorded for me, and it was of the snowman, the cartoon. And at the end of that, she taped over The Shining. So it was like this kid's uh, cartoon that lasted like 15 minutes. And then it was just The Shining. And she'd gone out of the room. <laughs> so I, I was watching The Shining, and I must have been about four. And it was just, it was magic. Um, and she turned it off just as... Um, just as it was getting good, let's just say. Um, so I think a lot of Stephen King is definitely my kind of jam. A lot of his stories and films and and uh, even some of the sort of freaky late 70s, 80s horror. Like, um, is it Sal- not Salem's Lot? Yeah, it is Salem's Lot. Which is also With the, um, the scratching on the, um, on the windows, that, that really yeah. freaked me out as a kid. What about Clive Barker? Hmm. Hellraiser. Do you know what? I I don't think I've ever fully watched Hellraiser and in in a serious environment. It's been on, <laughs> and I but I don't think I've ever just sat down and gone right. I'm going to watch Hellraiser, and that's all I'm going to do. So I think maybe I've just missed that section of of horror. Like same as again with um, with Poltergeist, I've never fully watched Poltergeist. Uh, wow. Okay. So there yeah. there are holes in your in your experiences. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, uh, uh, but they're knowing holes. I know I know that they're there. I know I need to watch these films, um, but they're mostly filled with. Oh, I've got to watch some kids TV or, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> well, you could start out with the kids program and then lead into that. Much yeah. like your childhood. True. Yeah. yeah. No, no, you, you've raised it's, a good point. It sounds like four years old is the appropriate age yes. to start transitioning. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. You know what? I think I'm going to ease up to it with maybe Jurassic park. There you go. Cause that, that is one scary kids film, but that was a, I think it was a PG or yeah, it was or PG. Yeah, even. I believe. Well, Pee Wee's Big Adventure was frightening. And that was so. <laughs> P- yeah. True. Yeah, I mean, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, didn't that have like the same animation style as Beetlejuice? Yes, it did. Didn't it have some, it had some stop motion stuff, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, yep. large march. But, and yeah. also scored by Danny Elfman. So it had that similar oh, yeah. kind of kooky uh, aspect to it. It was very much a, a Tim Burton, proto Tim Burton movie. Yeah. Was Helena Helena Bolland Carter in it? It's the only missing thing, pretty much. Oh, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. No. That's way before her time for doing yeah. movies, I think. Yeah, I don't know that she's that old. 
in a context know, of Tim Burton. I know that if you get married to someone, you shouldn't have them in all your films, though. Yeah, Tim Burton is definitely guilty of that because he had maybe that was a premarital <laughs> contract. Like, if this is going to happen, <laughs> I have to be in every movie that you do now. But his previous mm-hmm. wife was also the same. She was in Attack from Mars and um, I can't think of it. Ed Wood. Okay, she played, yeah, she played Vampira. Maybe he just doesn't like paying for actresses. I think that might be it. <laughs> That's got to be. There's something there. Or he just feels guilty, like, well, you could be in a movie, because you're married to me. <laughs> Do you know what, I actually, th- th- this is a complete tangent, but it's kind of similar, <laughs> I guess. Um, <laughs> I know you guys are used to a little bit of a tangent. Um, I, I heard that um, oh, Paul Bettany, who does the voice of... Um, Jarvis in yep. the Marvel films, yep. who then became um, Vision. Yep. His wife in real life is Jennifer Connelly. It, that's true. And so they got her to do the voice of Spider-Man's AI. I can't remember what Which she's is called. Also true. So that they're actually the the AIs are married. Y- yeah. In the Marvel in, universe. In, in, I thought that was kind of a good idea but then i found out that she also didn't get paid so it's just another case of oh, who, who can we get for free yeah that's funny yeah, i knew that and i'm like that's just that's a very interesting why are we okay here's a question though so if you got the opportunity to be in a marvel movie and they said they weren't we aren't going to pay you but you could be like i was in this big Ooh. marvel movie would you do that or would you demand to get paid or you could start out and maybe work the angle and see if you can get paid in the next thing. I don't know. What would you do? Wait, there's two ways you could go. You could go down the, I'll, I'll work for free, and then I'll take you to court and suggest that you are abusing my rights. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that you are the ho- you are owned by the House of Mouse, who pretty much own all the money in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, no, I, I think I'd probably turn it down. Because I think that... More people need to turn things down when it's for free. Mm-hmm. When it's it's it should be that you value your time. And if you said yes to that, then it just kind of sets a precedent that other people do the same thing. But I will be and honest. Is, is that like a modern type of slavery? I probably. Yeah. But I will admit, I have done less. I've done more for less. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I have too. So there is always that. I guess it depends on how. If you're business savvy, you would we would we would be smart and be like no and or you pay me money and or it leads to because like who thought that like Paul Bettany would end up being the Vision initially because he was the AI voice in the first Iron Man. Like yeah, was, I reckon they probably had it planned out. Probably. Do you not think? Because yeah. he's he's too big a voice to just have as a small AI character. That's a very good point. Who knows? Because sometimes yeah. these things are being written as they're being filmed. Well, so the same actor True. can be multiple characters in the Marvel universe. That's so there's that also a too. good point. I, I, going along the sort of payment route, there's this thing that I always have to keep in the back of my mind as to not get too big-headed about certain things. And once I got paid for 15 seconds of my music being used in an Amazon TV show. And it was, I got, I think, two grand for 15 seconds. And I was thinking, 
what is my hourly rate? And it was like I could buy a house for my minute <laughs> rate. Almost. And no, for my hourly rate even. And um, yeah, I think certain people should get paid for more. And I think certain people should get paid less than they do. But um, I think the, the key is to always be humble and not to ask for too much, not kind of expect too much. That if you could sense. make a living and you're comfortable yeah. and you're happy, yeah. it's one thing. But you also don't want to be want to be taken advantage of either. Yeah. That's the that's the hard balancing factor. Um congratulations for that, because that's amazing. Fifteen <laughs> seconds. It'll never happen again. <laughs> Who knows? Oh, you don't know. You don't you, know that. It, it could again. That's really uh, amazing. But the, the icing on that cake is that I, I watched the episode that it's in. I'm not going to say what it is because it's so awful. Um, <laughs> and my my music is barely even audible. So it's even better. It's just... It's in the background no one ever know it's of there. the scene. Yeah, you'd never be able to find it. <laughs> but are you, though, listed in IMDb as a credit page in that particular episode? Because um, you have to be listed, you have to be credited. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh my god, do you have your own IMDb page? <laughs> no, no, I don't think it comes up like that. Because if it's for music, it doesn't kind of get counted as a full credit. It's that they'll put your name there, but there won't be a link link to anything else. Okay. Yeah. All right. But it is on IMDb. That's um, awesome. But but do not search it. It's <laughs> not worth the time. That's still an amazing thing. <laughs> That you know what it, it yeah it all it kind of works out. I mean, if it's awful and you can barely hear your stuff and you got paid two thousand for that, yeah, it all kind of shakes yeah. out in the end. Of course, it'd be better if it was in something good and you could hear it and then you get more attention. But if it's if it's something that you're embarrassed about, almost yeah, it's it's not my proudest moment. <laughs> yeah, it's like most of my life. I'm just yeah. mostly not proud of it. So, I think maybe maybe the the dream is one day that there'll be one of my songs in a film soundtrack and I'll actually be able to hear it. That would be great. I was going to ask you is do you have aspirations to actually score a film? Um so I've I've actually I scored a short film once before and it was technically for a a friend in the scene who I will not name. Okay. Um, because they neither finished the product, uh, project or paid me. <laughs> and that kind of felt a bit weird. And in fact, that happens quite a lot in the scene. I think a lot of people um, kind of get um, shafted by other artists and people kind of looking for um, cheap music to put in games and videos and things. Sure, It's kind of annoying, but it comes with the territory, I guess. But uh, yeah, I, I'd love to score a film one day, I think. But I, I, I don't know what kind of music or what kind of film my music would go with. Uh, well, the question would be, would you approach it like you currently make music or would it be a brand new exploration for you? Because again, it's it's a different format than, you know, making yeah. Dark Wave. I know that Hans Zimmer has this this certain way that he does it. He watches the entire film and he pretty much just sits looking at the screen and just playing a keyboard. And then he'll kind of break it down a bit further than that. But I have no idea how I'd even start. I think I'd probably have to figure out what sort of sounds might work, but it would be, it would almost be like I would be writing us one continuous song. 
that was like an hour and a half long. Mm-hmm. That's probably what I try and do. Yeah. But that doesn't sound like the most fun. <laughs> right, right. Because uh, it's like, you know, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Like, yeah. As when you listen to those scores, it's it makes sense it's them, but it doesn't also sound like anything that they do for like Nine Inch Nails either. Like you can oh, yeah. tell it's them, but you can't, It's it doesn't strike you as Nine Inch Nails per se. In fact, their, their score for The Social Network was a, a soundtrack I pretty much listened to as an album for about a whole year. I loved that soundtrack. And yeah, they did such a good job. But that, yeah, it's, it's it's not like Nine Inch Nails in the slightest, is it? It's, it's no. kind of mad. But it ha- it's it has the textures and the... I don't want to call it aesthetic, but there's like, so it's all oh, Trent Reznor wrote that. You're like, yeah, that makes complete sense. That's something that yeah. he would do. It make it that's him, but it doesn't sound like anything nice. Well, maybe like the Ghosts album where it's more like textures and stuff like that. Yeah, because he he could just got rid of all of his instrumentalists for that, didn't he? He just sat and he did everything himself. Mm-hmm. Whereas usually he has like a backup band and things. Yeah, if, if I think. I can't remember if this is true or not, or if this is complete urban legend, but a lot of the stuff they've recorded for at least Girl and the Dragon with the Girl, uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and the Social Network, they made a studio, a sound studio under a football stadium, and it was like solid concrete, and it had like almost zero decibels for some reason. Um, that just is- sounds like a mad place to record. It's it sounds far fetched, but also not that far fetched for something like because Trent Reznor owned the Tate house that Sharon Tate was murdered in and recorded albums there. So that is, sounds about right. <laughs> it's not, you know like does it would he do that? Probably. Does he have enough money to do it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He's like the Nicolas Cage of music. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, Please. is it haunted? Yeah, I'll have it. Yeah. I, I will. Is it an island? Yes, I will buy it. <laughs> Can you afford it? Hey, I'll, I'll buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that, I've, I was watching a Nicolas Cage film earlier, and I, all I could think was, "So you married your wife because she's the daughter of a director you liked?" Okay, <laughs> that's the most Nicolas Cage thing you could do. Yep. And which one? He already comes from yeah. like directing or like film royalty. He's a Coppola, so. Like, yeah, that's what that's what I mean. No, no, he married into the Coppolas, didn't he? No, he is a Coppola. He is the nephew of Francis Ford Coppola. I thought he married the daughter of Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, uh-uh. that's Sophia Coppola. He, he's both. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that got weird. Yeah, that got weird. Do you know? I thought he married in. Oh, okay. Because uh-uh. Cage, he is born Nicholas Coppola. So okay, do you know what? I did not know that. I've completely got to rethink my whole outlook on Nicholas Cage. Yeah. So he uh, he changed his name to Cage so that he wouldn't be tied to the Coppola name because he wanted to be... And I wouldn't realise. Yeah. So no one would realise that he's a Coppola. Well, it worked. Yeah. And he's definitely... Nicholas Cage is Nicholas Cage. Like, there is no other... You don't have to worry yeah. about that. Nicholas Kim Coppola. Wow. Wow. That is not the sort of middle name you'd imagine he'd have. No. <laughs> something a little more esoteric would be appropriate. Yeah. I, wow. I imagine something Latin. Or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, something absurd. 
obscure. Yeah, that family is crazy. Like, just the amount of people that are in the business doing stuff. Yeah. Well, that's how nepotism works. <laughs> Touche, good sir. Touche. <laughs> that, that is true. But, you know what? If we got Nicolas Cage out of that deal, I'm, I'm fine for it. Yeah, I mean, the world owes the entire couple of family. It's a national treasure. Yeah. yeah. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> so, I gotta ask wow. you, speaking of Nicolas Cage, what did you think of Mandy? I thought Mandy was great, but also bizarre. Absolutely. I would agree on both fronts, yes. <laughs> yeah, it was, I think it was a fun experience, but I don't know if I'd call it a film. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, uh, and I, I think that's also got the most screen time of a dressing gown. That's amazing. I've ever seen. Yes. <laughs> like a fever dream more than a film, yes. Yes, a yeah. LSD fever dream. I think dream. the scene with him in the bathroom is, is definitely my favorite, but it's just... It's yelling and drinking the vodka in the bathroom? Yeah, is it is it acting or is this just what Nicolas Cage does? That's what he does. He's not acting. There's no... That's him for real, I'm I sure. Have seen, I've, I've seen an interview where he explains his acting process. So he does not like naturalistic acting. Like, he's anti-naturalistic acting. So if he has to do it, he pouts. So, like, with Mandy, okay. he was imagining, like the uh the cabinet of dr caligari and like a a golem golem thing yeah uh and that's like his and so like when he does acting it's his own genre of acting he doesn't want to be because it's supposed to be outside of reality so that's why he's outside of reality (laughs) absolutely So, so would Nicolas Cage want someone to actually set his real wife on fire so he could get into the to the zone, do you reckon? Uh, who, who He'd probably know? be upset because be like, this isn't the kind of acting I want to do. It's too real. I need to do something <laughs> yeah. over the top. Keep filming, keep filming. <laughs> yeah, I don't, he's, I, I, who knows what's true and what he's actually saying is, is truthful or not. But, you know, I would call it overacting. He just calls it a good time. I'm not sure. I know he's a big he's a big comic book nerd. That's that's about as much as I know to be truthful. He was gonna play Superman. Did you know that? Oh no, the Superman pictures are amazing. He looks like he could have actually done a good job. Yeah, I was really especially but when he had. Wasn't the that Tim Burton as well? Yes. Yeah. I just yeah, oh. that would have been wacky. Yeah, and like the the picture of him with like long straggly hair. Yeah. In the Superman yeah. like light up suit, I'm like that is perfect. Can we just get that, please? It almost looks like it's made out of bike leathers. <laughs> Which would have suited Nicolas Cage. Yeah, yes. Please. That's amazing. All right. <laughs> so we've had great tangents. Do we have Kyle, do you have anything else that you wanna get into? Uh discuss with Tom while we got him? I mean the Nicolas Cage thing is really the <laughs> ass. <laughs> it's one hell of a rabbit hole. It's, it's exactly where I to Kyle's go. a huge fan, so that's that's where that's going. Um, <laughs> so, okay, here's a quick question then: which is his best film, or which is your most favorite film with him in? Oh, that's that's really <laughs> tough. I would say the most enjoyable film that he's done for me would be Face Off. That's his favorite film. 
that's Nick Cage's favorite film too. Is Face yeah, Off. yeah. But it's like I really like that. But I also like his performance in Deadfall is so completely absurd <laughs> that I I can't even understand. You can't look away I, or or do that. It's not a good movie by any means. <laughs> and he's he's, a, he's turning into a bit of a Bruce Willis for kind of straight to DVD films. Oh, oh, it's been that way for a while. Yeah, you get on yeah. Netflix or something, and you're like, there's there's more Nicolas Cage <laughs> movies. These all came out like five of them from the same uh, year. It's like last year. Yeah, all these you never heard of any of them. He's got to get money though. He's got a lot of debt to pay off. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so do you, so Tom, do you have any projects? Obviously you've got the, the up to the, your, uh, Tron album that's coming out. Anything else you want to mention for you? It's coming up. Um, so there's mini disc day, which is coming up. Holy shit. Is it 7th of, 7th of March? I think it is. Um, I know that time slave recordings have a load of, uh, releases coming up for that. And I think the hope is to have my next grid album on mini disc for that day. Okay, because I'm gonna get it because I have a mini, I have, I have a player. So <laughs> make it's, use of it. Make it. It is making a comeback. It's bizarre, but I love. It's it. just it's such a weird format. I never thought they were so small because I've never I never owned mini discs until I owned my own mini disc. That's which funny. is just if they're really strange. Cool. They're they're amazing. I'm sad that they didn't take over CDs. I mean, they've got more space, I think, than a CD. I'm not too sure about that, actually, now I've said it. I, think the I, know, the, I know the quality's just as good. Yes. So they're smaller than a CD, so you would have thought you could chuck them in your pocket more. You can't chuck a CD in your pocket. No. Well, no. you can, you but worry it won't about, last. Yeah, you don't have to worry about scratching a mini-disc. Exactly. Yeah, and you could, you could even go for a jog with him, a mini-disc player, which you couldn't do with a CD player. See, that's why I never got rid of my mini disc player. But the weird thing is, and, is like when the format first hit the U.S. here, there were no pre-recorded albums available on mini disc. It was all you're making your own mixtape, basically on yep. it. Yeah, that's it, mad. It's really, it was really huge in the recording industry, radio, Japan. I know Japan yeah. it did big over there, and you could get pre-recorded albums on it there, but. I don't know if it was anywhere else. But now, yes. Now cool things like Time Slaves is putting out mini discs with full albums on that. It's awesome. Yeah, I'm glad that the format's being used. But, I mean, maybe Laserdisc need to come back. I don't know. What other <laughs> dead formats could come back? So Kyle just got rid of his entire Laserdisc collection. Yeah. Oh, you are going to regret that. <laughs> so I may. I may. I had some hot heat on Laserdisc, but... It's like I never used it. It's taken up a lot of space, and you can serve food on them. They're so huge. <laughs> I could, yes, you you could I've actually seen I've seen people sort of slightly melt them over um, pots and things, and then use them as like salad bowls. It's really, Ooh, really kind of upsetting like, to watch. <laughs> this salad is from the future. Just so <laughs> <you know. laughs> it's so fresh. It's, it's from laser. The future. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh my god. Well, thank you, Tom, uh, for being on. We're going on Tangent City here again. Um, uh, thank you so much for having me on. I'm yeah. very excited to get my Future Sounds Volume Three like box set. Yeah, oh, yeah. I think they're just about across the the um, the ocean right now. That's awesome. So uh, until next time, this is Eric. This is Kyle. And this is Tom. 
paradise I can't yeah, oh yeah, oh paradise I can't